You're listening to a message from New Life Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Thank you. Well, good morning. And a warm welcome. This is a great day. It's a nice place to stay cozy, isn't it? Well, we're going to do something this morning that we want to, uh, we want to celebrate. I'm going to invite uh, CJ. Where's CJ Knudsen? Come on up here, CJ. CJ uh, is announcing his, uh, his, his wedding. He's getting married. CJ's getting married. Did you all know that? Some of you do, some of you don't, but he is. <laughs> CJ is uh, getting married on May 27th to Thea. And uh, Thea is someone that we have crossed paths with over the years through our ministry and interface with Germany Foursquare. Mm-hmm. And you met her, um, and then things started to happen from there. I mean, you obviously started to date her and did all that kind of thing, right? Yeah. And you did. You did. And, uh, and so he is, uh, he's going to get married, and we want to let you know that. And the other thing that we want you to know, because it's a two-part announcement... Uh, Thea and CJ, after they're married, are going to spend their first few years married in Germany. And so that's what they're going to be doing. And CJ, you, you, you tell us. Give, it, give us the rundown on all this. Yeah. Well, thanks, Ron. Um, for a lot of you, it might be a big shocker. For some, it may not be. I was actually kind of surprised how many people I went up and talked to, and they go, hey, I know. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I had even a kid come up to me the other day and just said, I thought you were supposed to be at another church. Why are you here? <laughs> I thought I still pastored you. <laughs> it was fun. But, you know, really, I was taken by surprise myself when she came in. You know, she came with a bunch of other pastors. I was in business mode, getting kids checked in. And I just remember, you know, God really spoke to my heart when one of our people on security came up to me and said, Hey, guess what I found? I'm like, What? It's like, I found your future wife. (laughs) No joke. And there she was. I'm like, where is she? Like, you better show me. And he points right there. And she was sitting with all the kids. Mm. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where this is, it's not an easy transition. Mm. Because because I love every one of you. Mm. And some of you may not know this, but I've actually been at this church my whole life. Mm. And there's those talks of coming and going and coming and going to different places. And I've watched people my whole life come and go. And this has been one of those moments where I thought to myself, when's my turn? <laughs> I just never thought that it would ever happen. Mm-hmm. And, and then here it is. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm so excited. Really, this just reminds us, both Thea and myself, of taking steps out in the water, mm-hmm. just like Peter did with Jesus, because there's no better place than to be out in the water with him. And so taking those steps in obedience is really what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And so we're excited to have our ministry in Germany. Uh, there's a lot of things going on. She's a children's pastor, actually youth and children's pastor there at her church. Um, so we have, God has a lot of great things for us in store. So we appreciate all your prayers and being a family for us. So thank you. All right, my man. We're proud of you. We're proud of you, literally. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we're going to be taking some time in the next few months and sending out, properly sending out CJ and Thea 
blessing them. Uh, they're going to go spend some time. The, the place that they're going is outside of the larger city of Mainz, uh, Wiesbaden, Mainz area. And we've been there. We are connected to the church they're going to. So, so we do know the people involved. Annette and I know the pastor and his wife and that, or excuse me, both of them pastor, I think. And so we know the pastors in that town and their community and where CJ is going to have his home church. And so literally CJ has been here all of his life. So I mark my time here by his birth. So I've been here 28 years. He turned 28, I believe, in June. Did you, June? July, July, that's right. So that's how we mark our time here. So it's just been a blessing to be part of his life. CJ's done a wonderful job with our children, and uh, we're just going to continue to pray for their future, and certainly we all have a future in Jesus. He's good, and we get to do what he's called us to do, and that is raise up and send. And uh, that's the blessing of being part of a church like this. I'm so thankful that we, that all of us are connected. We're, we're in a series in the book of Philippians, and we're talking about the idea that you were born for impact. So this means that you are all born for impact. I believe it. I believe it with all of my heart. I really believe it's true. The question is, how do we have impact? That's always the question. In fact, the matter is that it is a biblical certainty that God wants you to have impact. So God's not holding anything back from you. That he wants you to have the impact that you need to have in the world that you live in. And the reason we know that is because of the way that he's provided for us. I mean, think of all the ways that God has equipped equipped you and me to have impact. I think of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's provided that for us so that we have forgiveness of sin. So that we have redemption. So that we have the promise of eternal life. I think about the infilling of God's Holy Spirit. That we have been empowered, guided, blessed protected by the power of God's Holy Spirit. I think about the Bible, the infallible Word of God, that the Word of God is something that gives us the direction that we need to walk through this life that we are part of. God has equipped us. He has provided for each and every one of us to have an impact in the world that we're part of. So please listen. Never underestimate the impact God wants you to have. And I think that's what we probably have a tendency of doing is underestimating that kind of impact that we think about ourselves. We we really don't have that impact or we can we really have that impact. The Bible lets us know absolutely we can have impact. I remember one of my first few months here at New Life, um, I had this dream. It was kind of an unusual dream, and it had to do with uh, a, an acorn and an oak tree. I mean, you know, I, 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 I saw in this dream an acorn falling to the ground. I turned my back, and in just moments, there was this kind of rumbling happening, and I, I, I turned around, and there was this huge, mighty oak tree. And the Lord spoke to me and said this, never underestimate the value of impact in Jesus. That what God has done in you and through you, really and literally, is you become an oak tree to the nations. And God is so faithful. It doesn't matter where we grow up or what what community we're part of. Because I remember people telling me, well, you're going to Canby. Where's Canby? They get us mixed up with Camus sometimes. And they would say, where is that? Is that going to be a stepping stone in ministry? No. This is our home. This is where the oak tree grows. This is where we can touch the world for Jesus Christ in Canby and in the outlying areas. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? I think about the life of Jesus. When people asked him, where did you come from? He said, Nazareth. They said, where's that? In the Galilee. That's where it's at. They didn't even know where Jesus really came from. It was such a small town. 
It was a place that you would think, well, if anyone's going to come from there, they certainly are going to have impact on the world that they're part of. Look at what Jesus has done for us. Never underestimate the value of God's work in you to bring impact to the world that you're part of. The Apostle Paul has an impact. In the book of Philippians, he begins his letter in jail. Now, just think about this with me. In other translations, the term jail, he uses the word circumstances. <laughs> so it's kind of code for jail. Now, and I'm saying this. If I was in jail, I don't think I would say my circumstances. I think I'd let you know that I was in jail and I'm really paying a price right now. And it's hard and it's awful and it's horrible. Paul doesn't do that. He calls them his circumstances. If you were in jail, what would you call it? <laughs> I don't think it'd be our circumstances. What are the Apostle Paul's circumstances? Listen, three times he was beaten. Two years he languished in prison. Why? Because a mob falsely accused him. And then he writes in another place, he said, and all of this is light and momentary afflictions. (laughs) Light and momentary afflictions. This guy's a hero. And if I could say this, I'd say it on the ball field. This guy's a stud. I mean, this guy really had the grit to do what God had called him to do. And it's while he's in prison under Roman guard that he writes to the church of Philippi. So what is it about the Apostle Paul's life that allows him to have such an amazing impact from a prison? Paul has a greater impact in prison than many others have who are completely free. Here's a question that I want you to think about, and it's something I was thinking about last week. It just had gone over and over, and, and, and here's the, here, here it is. Could it be that we have assumptions about what we need to have impact, and those assumptions are not impactful at all? What are some of the things that you think you need to have to have impact? I know there are certain things that I thought I should have to have impact that weren't really at all according to God's scripture. It's almost counterintuitive. We tend to think that in order to have impact in the world that we live in, we need title, that we need position, that we need fame, that we need authority. We need our boss to give us a promotion. We need access to that authority. And then we can have that kind of impact. It was Paul who gave up his authority. Remember what it says? It says that he was a religious leader, that he was, he was on the fast track up. And what happens? It was after he gave up that authority. It was after he gave up his a, a religious status that he actually and truly had impact in the world that he was part of. It was after all of that went away. Paul had impact on his world. Here's another false assumption about having impact. You have impact if you're wealthy, if you have lots of money. Rich people are the people who have impact, not poor people. Well, Paul is writing this from a prison, and you know who he's receiving an offering from? From the church of Philippi that was not a wealthy church. So Paul, in this case, is dirt poor, and yet he has this huge impact. So wealth doesn't always mean that you're going to have impact. In fact, I was reading a statistic the other day. It was about one of the wealthiest denominations in our nation, in fact, in the world. They own, they own large amounts of land on Wall Street. So everyone leases from them. Everyone rents from them. They are wealthy, but they are in such deep decline. And the reason why is because they've counted mainly on their wealth and not on Jesus Christ. Their influence is fading. Their impact is going away. Here's my premise. Impact has nothing to do with title. 
Impact has nothing to do with wealth. So what are the principles for living a life of impact? They're counterintuitive. I said this. They just seem to go against the grain. But in this passage of Scripture, I think there are four. And that four marks or characteristics of impact you can see in the life of the Apostle Paul. Do this with me if you would. Open your Bible to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 12 through 27. You have an outline if you want to follow along. Take some notes. Fill in the blanks. But that's Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 through 27. Now here's the first principle of impact. And it's this. Courage is contagious. I want to say it again. Courage is contagious. Um, I grew up in a home that was... uh, uh, saturated with, with all kinds of athletic events. My dad was a PE teacher, was a baseball, football, wrestling coach, have two brothers, were always mixing it up in wrestling. That was my indoctrination. My early formation had everything to do with sports and, and athletics. The problem was that I was not necessarily naturally gifted as an athlete. So I had to kind of make up the difference, and the place that I made up the difference was commitment. If I committed to something, I was all in. I mean, I was all in. In fact, some of my buddies who were a lot bigger and stronger than I was just hated to see me coming on the practice field because practice time is where you were still all in. You weren't just slacking. You weren't taking it easy. That's the place you just made it happen. (laughs) I had some big guys that I would go up against and we would block each other and after a while they'd say, hey, um, listen, if you you quit hitting me so hard, I'll give you a candy bar after practice. Folks, I went home loaded with candy bars, man, I did. You don't give up. You don't quit. You want to be all in. You want to be committed. And that's really what we see here in the Apostle Paul. He wasn't when you looked at him, and he said that about himself. He he wasn't someone to gaze upon. He wasn't someone, a person of great stature. But this guy was all in, man. He committed, and he had courage. So what is your commitment level? When we attack things with great courage, it becomes contagious. That's what the Apostle Paul says in verses 12 through 14. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What's happened to him? He's in prison. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. In other words, to proclaim the gospel with great courage. So here are two characteristics of courage. Number one is this. Courage always spreads externally. Did you see that phrase there, the palace guards? You you should know something about the palace guards. The palace guards were actually the kingmakers of their day. That if you got in good with a palace guard, you were probably going to rise to the top because they were the ones who quietly decided who the next kings and leaders and people in authority would be. It was the palace guards. These people have influence. So what happens? Paul's courage in the gospel of Jesus Christ wins over the palace guards. They're transformed by the gospel of Jesus. And then secondly, courage strengthens internally. Notice what it says here. It says, brothers and sisters, the believers were emboldened in their faith. That's what courage does. That's how contagious it is. You only need to have one person with great courage and great commitment and who is all in, and everyone begins to rally around that person. 
Everyone begins to say, now that's the person I'm going to follow. If we're going into battle, I'm going in with them. I'm not going in with someone who's shy or bashful or who lacks confidence. I'm going into battle with them. And that was the nature of Paul the Apostle. He was so committed, so convinced about his call and his relationship with Jesus Christ that he would go anywhere and spread the gospel, including the prisons that he was part of. He was part of their penal system, constantly there, but spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Why is courage so noticeable? I think it's so noticeable because uh, we're all fearful by nature. Now, how do you know that? The reason I know that, and there's one great indication, is the Scripture. Did you know that from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, the most common repeated phrase that God speaks when He's speaking to us is, the most common repeated phrase to you from God is, don't be afraid. It's all through the Bible. Fear not. Don't be afraid. I am with you. It's constantly repeated. Why does He say that? He doesn't waste His words. He's saying that because you are afraid. Because you're fearful. That's why he says what he says. And so this is why courage is so noticeable. Because by nature, we can be fearful people. Courage that is left unchecked and unsubmitted to the Holy Spirit is this. And I've seen it, and I've seen it in my own life. It's reckless and deadly. Courage that is under the control and guidance of the Holy Spirit will radically change the world for Christ radically. So submit your heart. Ask God for the courage that you need to be a Christ follower. And that's what's going to happen. And it will spread. It is contagious. So here's the key. Develop a willingness to embrace suffering. Say, what? I thought we were talking about courage. Well, I'm going to tell you something about courage and suffering. They go together. I, I waited till the last part of this point to tell you that because I, 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 I didn't want you to freak out on me here. But they do go together. You can't have courage without suffering. Wherever there is suffering, there is an opportunity for courage. Always. The truth is, we all suffer. We all suffer. I mean, you might be suffering now by the person you're sitting next to. I don't know. You go home, you might suffer there. You might suffer at work. You might suffer. Whatever your suffering is, understand this. It it gives you the opportunity to operate and stand up in courage. And I love that about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love that about the life of the Apostle Paul. So here it is. Secondly, attitude is everything. Not only is courage contagious, but in this passage of Scripture, attitude is everything. We often think that we have to change our relationships. We have to change our circumstances. We have to change our finances, and then our attitude will change. No, what we really need to change is we need to change our attitude. It always begins with attitude. You control almost nothing in the world that you're part of. I don't know if you realize that. Maybe you're still in denial and think you do, but you don't. You change almost nothing. The one thing that you have control over is your own attitude. That's one thing that you can control. I can control my attitude. That's what the Apostle Paul says in verses 15 through 18. He said, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they are and can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. 
But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. This guy's amazing. This guy's amazing. He's saying, even those troublemakers, those folks that are trying to stir it up to make my life hard. And by the way, you find drama wherever people are. And where Paul was and the people he connected to and related with, that, that, that there was drama there. There was a lot of drama. And so there were people trying to stir things up to make his life in prison even harder than it already was. And what is he saying about these people? He's making a choice in his heart. He's not saying, those people, I wish they just draw. I want them to be blessed with a brick. That's what I want them to be blessed with. I'd love it if lightning came out of the sky and just struck them dead. He's not saying that at all. You know what he's saying? He's saying even the gospel gets out when they have selfish ambition, when their motives are ill towards me. The gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, and that's what he is concerned about. That's what his mind is set on. And there's another phrase here, but what does it matter? I love that. That's an attitude question. But what does it matter? I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to get pulled into the muck. I'm not going to get pulled into the, to the mud of all of this and the controversy and the drama. I'm not going to do it. Paul says here, just by that one question, that he rises above what's actually happening there to drag him down. You know, that's probably one of the most difficult challenges that you and I have. It's to pull our heart and our mind out of the muck, especially when other people are trying to drag us down. Paul says, what does it matter? Paul aligns himself with God. He says, the important thing is this. It's important that it's the gospel, that it's about Jesus being preached. People will always create drama, but God's message works. So the question is, is do we get caught in that drama or do we rise above that and say, you know what? I want the gospel of Jesus to be preached. I want Jesus to be seen in my life. I want to reflect Jesus Christ in all that I do, all that I say. I know this was tested and always is tested in our lives. Last week, I felt myself going down like it's my attitude. You know, I'm thinking, okay. And then I thought, wait a minute, I've got a choice here. I can control what I think here, and I choose to think the best. I choose to think the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is where you need to align your life. And that's why we say constantly around here, keep the main thing the main thing. It really does help. It's a powerful statement. Say it with me. Keep the main thing the main thing. Say it again. Keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, Paul wrote that when he walked into the church of Corinth. He knew he was in, he, he knew that if he didn't keep his mind on the things that he needed to keep his mind on, that he was in trouble. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says this, For I determine, or I resolve, not to know anything else among you. Not all your drama, not all the things that you got going. I determine to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Only Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I love that. Listen to the last part of verse 18. Paul says this. He says, And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. You know, Paul has more joy than you and I, and he's in prison? That's remarkable to me. So here are the results of a mature attitude. Uh, A mature attitude will do two things for us. Number one is this. Attitude impacts altitude. Have you ever heard that statement before? Your attitude will often depend on how high you go or how low you stay. That's what attitude does. The height of your life is directly related to attitude. Always will be. 
And secondly, attitude impacts emotion. Attitude is a decision we make that affects our emotions. It's not an emotion first that we have and then we adjust our attitude to emotion. It's the opposite. We make a choice about what we're going to believe, what our attitude will be, and then emotion follows that. So some of us are saying, well, my my emotions stink right now. (laughs) You might have to trace them back to your attitude because if your emotions do, your attitude might stink too. Because they do. These things go together. Emotions follow attitude. If you are not experiencing joy, you need to change, make the choice to change your attitude. (laughs) Sounds like a parent, doesn't it? (laughs) Listen, little boy, you better change your attitude. The key here is develop a willingness to grow into maturity. Maturity is not something that happens naturally. You choose to be mature. You cannot, and it's impossible for you to develop maturity by yourself. You need others around you. I need others in my life to help me grow, to help me mature. And that's why my friendships are so important. That's why this church family is so important. This is, this is why life groups and recovery groups are so important to me. Because I need to be in these places. They Help me grow. You help me grow. People say, I want to mature. I want to grow in Jesus. Well, you're not going to do it as a solo sapien. It's not a single flight. It's with community that these things happen in our lives. How many here go to life groups or you host one? Lift your hand. I know some of your recovery groups, anything like that. Lift your hands. Good. Quite a few. Good. Stay involved in those because those things make us and help us grow. Here's the third point. Perspective is critical. Perspective is absolutely critical. When we have the right perspective, it changes our impact level. Have you ever noticed that? I've noticed that about my life. We need to remember what we have been given in Jesus Christ. Oftentimes we get mired down. Again, I've talked earlier about the drama that we get caught up in. Sometimes we just get mired down in life and then that gratitude just slips out and we forget what we have in Jesus Christ. We forget all the things that Jesus has done for us, all the ways that he's provided for us and we're stuck on this one thing. I mean, you know, like a dog on a bone and it's ugly and it stinks and we talk about it and we, we, we let everybody know how, how mad we are and how upset we are when in fact we have been given the greatest gift on this planet and that's salvation through Jesus Christ. It's amazing. We have all these things that we've been given and we focus on this one thing. During uh, the Christmas holidays, we love to take our kids and our grandkids. We go out and find something to do. We go out and we'll bowl or we'll, we'll just go and have fun. Well, this time we went to a place called Top Golf. It's out in Hillsboro. And so we took the whole family, everybody, grandkids and everybody. It's fun for all the kids. It's fun for everybody. We were out there. We had a blast. We were out there for a couple, three hours, I think, and we had the greatest time. I mean, the kids were talking about how much fun they had and how much they wanted to keep having fun, you know? That whole season of Christmas is really about having fun. Well, we got in the car, we're headed home, we're in the traffic, and the gals decide we need to stop at Costco. Uh, I love Costco, it's just not my favorite place. I love what comes out of Costco into my house. I don't always like going into Costco and getting what goes into my house, see? But we're going to say, okay, we're going to do that. So we stop and we get at Costco. Well, the two little boys, my grandsons, my eight and five-year-old are sitting in the back. And there's only one place to stick this big old thing of toilet paper. 
and it's to shove it in the back with them. And you would have thought that they were sitting in the back seat with a bomb. I mean, they were having all this fun, talking about how much fun and how great that day was and how great the evening was. And then th- this, this innocuous Kleenex thing or, or toilet paper comes back and they melt down. And they start yelling at each other, get it off my lap, get it off my lap. And they're really crying. They're starting to cry. It's crowding me. I'm getting sick. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, they forgot all the good things that we just got done doing. And then I don't make it any better because I'm a grandpa now and I can laugh when all this is going on. Mom and dad aren't laughing and I'm going, oh, gee, you got it. Lord, help me. I'm going to lose it. I'm going to laugh. And I, right, right, right then one of them sneezes and I said, you guys need any toilet paper? <laughs> and then everyone in the car laughs. And I went, whoop. All right, shut up. You know, you can be given all these wonderful gifts and be blessed, just even yesterday, be blessed. And today, something goes a little south, and that's what we focus on. Perspective is critical. Once we get an eternal perspective about what God has given us, it changes our impact. Here's what Paul says in verses 21 through 24. He said, and I love this, this is one of the great verses of all time. For me to live is Christ." To die is gain. What did Paul choose to do? (laughs) He chose to have a win-win attitude. (laughs) He's saying, you know, if I live, it's great. If I die, it's great. I win. I win. That's what he's saying. Here is his perspective. He's giving you his perspective, and it's an eternal perspective. If I am to go on living in the body This will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, the fruitfulness that we have together in this relationship is really necessary right now. The time hasn't expired on that. When it does, I'm good. When it does and I go to heaven, I'm great. I'm going to be with Jesus Christ. Perspective is critical. So there are two characteristics of godly perspective. Let me tell you what they are. Number one, perspective remedies panic. Remedies panic. Think about all the times that Jesus was in a place where he could have panicked with his disciples because his disciples panicked. One, one that I think of is in the boat. And there's a storm and all these disciples are in a panic. What's Jesus doing? He's taking a nap. I mean, he's, he's snoozing. Why? Because he has an eternal godly perspective. He knows what's going to happen. He knows that God has everything under control. Perspective, godly perspective remedies panic. And you can see that in the life of the Apostle Paul. We read a scripture last week where he went to Troas and he thought, well, let's go to Bithynia. And the Lord said, no, well, let's go, let's go to Mysia. No, he didn't panic. He just waits on God. He says, God's going to come through. He's got an answer. That's a godly perspective on life. And sometimes when we think we've faced the end, we, we have not faced the end. You don't need to panic with a godly perspective. This is the Apostle Paul. He doesn't panic. And then the second here, the second characteristic of a godly perspective is perspective reinforces commitment. That a godly perspective reinforces the commitment you've already made to Christ. 
I don't know how many times you might have this happen to you, but it's happened to me, that when things get very, very difficult in life or ministry, one of the first things the Holy Spirit will do is he'll remind me of the commitments that I made to him with a clear mind, a clear heart, and passionate toward him. He says, remember, we made this commitment together. What does it do? It just clears up everything. It creates a deeper resolve, a deeper commitment to keep going the way that God has called me to go. When marriage gets tough, what is it that we should remember? Remember the vows that we spoke to each other. That's what I remember. The ring that I wear. There's a commitment here. Perspective reinforces commitment. How many have ever heard that phrase that's used in the corporate world called mission drift? It means you're starting to drift off task, off mission. And I tell you what, I think that in the world that we live in, uh, especially the Western, Western world, we're plagued with mission drift. We have a short attention span. <laughs> it's like the next best thing. That's the thing we're going to jump to. I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't treat me that way. I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't say, oh, there's a, there, there's a better guy right there. I think I'm going to jump over there and jump out of your boat and jump into his boat. He doesn't do that. There's a mission drift. Sometimes you find it in parenting. You know, especially if you have that first, that first child, the commitment that you have, the mission you have to raise that child, that son or daughter to be perfect. You know, that first one comes along. I mean, you're not going to give it any sugar. It's going to eat, uh, you know, it's going to be a vegan. It's going to, and you have all these plans for this little child. And by the fourth one, man, you've given up. You said, forget it. Go, I'll give you this here. Go to McDonald's every day. I don't care. You know, I remember our first child, we're just thinking, all right, we're going to raise this son. He's going to be a good boy, and he's going to be healthy and strong. And, and Annette laid down the law, no sugar for this kid. And I'm thinking, well, how about dad? Can dad have sugar? Oh, yeah. Dad can have sugar. The boy can't. We went somewhere. We had him with us, and one of the other pastors of the church we were part of started feeding him ice cream. And she went, oh, you know, and I'm thinking, uh-oh. She's not going to have a mission drift here, I can tell you right now. But as time went on, we had a few mission drifts. And raising kids, we had a few mission drifts. We've repented over those. We've asked God to help us with those. But this is part of the dilemma we face. We have these mission drifts when it comes to following Jesus Christ and doing those important things. Listen, perspective, godly perspective reinforces commitment. Here's the key. Develop a willingness to see eternity. Look toward heaven. I'm going to say it again. Look toward heaven. I want to say it again. Look toward heaven. Because really the illusion, the illusion is what you're looking at now that's part of this world. That's what goes away. Heaven remains. Eternal life remains. I want to read you something. I was so touched. Annette and I were so touched. If I can get through this without losing it, I'm going to be proud of myself. One of our spiritual fathers, um, who actually was part of the team that appointed Annette and I here at New Life, um, his wife passed away just recently. And he sends out this, this newsletter to a family and friends. And I want to read it to you. I'm going to read part of it to you. As Bobby, that's his wife, was approaching her crowning, That's eternal. I looked at her frail body as I was reading 2 Timothy 1.10. Our Savior Jesus Christ has abolished death 
and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He says this, The Lord spoke to my heart and said, You are not looking at death, but the birth pangs of eternal life. So this Christmas I rejoice, not in my deep loss, but in the joy of knowing my Bobby is where we all want to be. Will you celebrate with me during this season the one who has abolished death, brought life, and immortality to light? Reverend Kenwald. I, I, I don't know if I could write that. I don't, know, I don't know if I could do that now. I'm just being honest. But I know what will help me is that I look toward heaven. And that I develop a willingness to see eternity. And that you would do the same. So here's the last point. I'm going to close with this. Serving is freedom. Getting out of yourself is freedom. Paul says it in verses 25 and 26. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Basically saying, I'm going to serve you till the day I die. And he said that earlier, didn't he? He said, well, if I stay around, I need to be around because it's, it's meaningful for you. It's beneficial for you that I'm here because I'm serving you. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Jesus Christ will abound on account of me. Paul is absolutely convinced about his service to Jesus Christ and his people. And oftentimes he uses this introductory phrase to describe himself where he says, and it's stated in the first verse of Romans chapter 1, I, Paul, a bondslave of Jesus Christ. He understands the implications. He's convinced that this has helped bring him freedom. He knows it's in Jesus, but it's serving Jesus. It's serving his people. Paul is not complaining about being in jail here. He is focused on serving the Philippians. He doesn't say, man, when, you know, when I get out of here, I'm, I'm going to really serve you, God. I mean, God, when I get out of this prison, because you know, it's kind of tight in here. And when I get out of this prison, I'm going to really serve you. I tell you, I'm going to give you my life, Lord. I promise. See, how many of us are putting conditions on God right now saying, you know, when I get into this state or when my economy is better or when I get the promotion or when this is better or that is better, then I'll serve God. When I've got that time, then I'll serve. And you know what? I've been around long enough. I'm going to say this. No, you won't. Because I know me and I know you and I know human nature. You serve wherever you are, whether it's in jail or a grocery store or school or church or wherever it is, you serve. Paul didn't wait around to get out of jail to serve. Paul knew that by serving, he would have the greatest impact. And so here it is, the key, develop a willingness to keep serving. It's a decision you need to make. I love this quote uh, Annette uh, forwarded to me the other day, yesterday. And it's by John F. Kennedy. It says, one person can make a difference and everyone should try. (laughs) So have you tried to make a difference? That's really where it starts. Have you tried to make a difference? So here's the recap. Courage spreads influence. Attitude stabilizes feelings. Perspective strengthens faith. And serving fosters your significance. 
That's all pretty sound stuff, wouldn't you say? And I think Paul was a pretty sound guy, pretty solid guy. And we can take these words because they're God's words and we can follow them. Would you bow your head with me? Father, we want to thank you today for the amazing blessing we have in you. Lord, I ask that you just forgive me in those places that I've grumbled, I've complained, I've got down in the mud mentally, emotionally. And I haven't taken time to get that godly perspective that can come when we make that decision, when our attitude, when we choose to change our attitude and face you and look at you and see all the things that you've done to fill us and bless us. Yeah, life still is hard. But with you and focused on you, we are more than conquerors in Jesus. That is what we want. Lord, thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.